Howdy folks, welcome to Sketchy Conversations with John Melson IV. On today's episode, I'm chatting with guitar player Gary Schotter of Funkadelic. We talk about influences, Funkadelic of course, creative processes, and other topics too. As you know, we take a street level here, so if you're fed up by language, okay. Yeah. So you've been playing since you were 16. What's your practice regiment like? Well, lately it's been uh, at least once or twice a day. You know, I find moments to just pick it up and just play around. But um, in the meantime, uh, I mean, you mentioned since I was 16, I didn't really have much of a practice regimen then. I kind of just, you know, I wasn't really as serious about it when I was 16. Um, it really took me to about 10 years ago to really get serious about it. So, you know, um, and as I've been playing in the, the last 10 years, is how I've developed my my practice regimen just while kind of digging and watching what other folks do that that I play with and checking out their reg regimens and you know combining certain things taking certain things that probably work for me and that's it you know and I still kind of you know break down lessons and stuff like that so I saw that too actually I saw you put up the cage system as well I was like I have a confession to make I never could figure out the damn thing <laughs> Because I was like, because I couldn't think about this damn Soundgarden song, right? So I'm like, okay, so I got the basic pentatonic scales. And I'm like, oh, so I saw you kind of like a puzzle piece. Got you. Uh, and uh, I was like, like, oh, you can just shift them up and everything. So why the hell do you need all these? Whatever. That kind of shit, right? And that's what I'm uh, kind of dabbling in now is uh, trying to uh, learn different modes and, you know, trying to get into modal playing and stuff like that. So. Yeah, so, you know, like I said, I'm just always, you know, just learning, and that's how I essentially find myself. That's how I push myself into practice and is discovering different stuff and learning new stuff and then kind of just kind of just sticking with it until I kind of got it good enough to, you know, to kind of put in the arsenal. Smart move, you know, because sometimes I'll go over a skill, I'm like, so that's where it came from. Like, I think, I forgot what song about, I think it was like the one with Sierra and Bow or something like that, right? And I was messing with like the Dorian mode, right? And I'm like, so that's where that came from, you know? A lot of Santana, he loves the Dorian mode. Yes, he does. Uh -huh. So yeah, that's where I'm at too. You know, I start, I just discover certain things, and I'm kind of just like that. It's like, oh, that's what such and such does, you know. And then you get into it, you know. When you realize that, then. You know, you kind of gain a quick uh, or a different understanding for it real quick. You know what I mean? Or you you actually understand, you know, how it's being applied, you know. Completely, you know. Because yeah. I was kind of messing around like bebop scales and everything too, you know. So you're right now, just like you, know, t like, you know, do like a down tune on the on the lower E string down to C sharp. And that is very fucking useful. It's basically really cool, like almost like advanced new metal riffs, you know. I'm like, oh, yeah. Sounds fucking dope, you know. That's pretty typical in metal music is to tune down the C, right? Mm, at times, you know. Here's a funny story. The reason why, like, the, one of the Godfathers of Metal, Tony Omi, the reason why he tuned down is because he lost his finger. He's lost his fingertips in a freak accident. Interesting. Yeah. So what he did was he basically got like his tip fingertips ripped off and was really fucked up over that, right? Till like his ex boss, um. Got him, a, got him this record of Django Reinhardt. He said, he only has three fingers. So I was like, you're kidding me. We only, you still have all your fingers. So you're just missing two tips of your fingers. So he literally basically got like these two thumbnails. Got some leather. Just like, okay, this hurts like hell. What do I do now? 
so he tuned it down. So oh, this feels better. That sounds pretty cool too. There we go. Most of the first Black Sabbath albums. So literally because it hurt to play in regular standard tuning. You know, it always comes about in the most uncanny way. So <laughs> absolutely, you know, shoot. Always kind of always the link with most some of the best innovations come out of fuck ups, you know. Exactly. <laughs> Yeah, there's beauty and imperfection and simplicity and stuff like that. So, exactly, you know, I mean, shoot, it's like didn't George Clinton say, "Perfect funk is jazz." Yeah, I'm like, I don't know, I never, I was never the same after I heard that damn quote. I was like, that makes all the sense in the fucking world. <laughs> <laughs> it really does, you know. Yeah, you know, George experiments with everything. So, yep. One thing I always imagine, basically, it's like if you kind of get into reggae, I was imagining like, well, except for like Shockwave, you know, well, like maybe bring someone like Lee Scratch Perry to do like some engineering shit like that. I've always imagined what that sound like. Yeah, Shockwaves, that's what it sound like, just like you said. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Like Shockwaves. <laughs> nice. All right, so when you were rapping as Harry Green, what did you sound like? Like, what were your influences? Uh,. All the greats, you know what I'm saying? I've always, I'm like, um, I'm in the innovative artist in, in whatever genre I'm listening to. Uh, but uh, I think somebody that I really liked the most when I was a rapper was Redman. That's somebody who I used to try to channel a lot. I think Redman is awesome. I think he's like one of the most underrated and probably like the most, one of the most gifted MCs ever. Like to put, he's like probably my top rap, my top top rap artist. So absolutely, you know, I don't think he gets enough credit. You know, I mean, no, like, you know, it's like um, he really doesn't get enough credit at all. You know, no, like um, he doesn't. he doesn't. He's put out some incredible albums, and you know, like uh, I love Method Man too. You know what I'm saying? But he seems more lauded than uh, Redman. And Redman has put out way better albums than Method Man to me, man. So True. Also, like, also has a great sense of humor, too. <laughs> like, yeah, that, that's why I like him. That's why he's my, that's why I, I, I fuck with him so much, because I, I, I get into that humor. Exactly. He, you know what I'm saying? His humor. And uh, you can tell he's like a, a culture and movie buff. He's always throwing culture and movie uh, puns in his raps and and some of them are pretty deep you know what I'm saying it's like that you could tell that he just sat back and just all he did was just smoke and watch movies <laughs> <laughs> some of the best ways to think of stuff like when I <laughs> like I always found it fascinating where how a lot of those guys had like this you know order were way musically deeper like okay Scarface you know cause there's a P-Funk connection there too I know he's like a really big rock guy you know yeah, well, he's in the uh, guitars, you know, he's an instrumentalist. And, you know, like, even those guys, they were raised on, like, Parliament and Earth, Wind and & Fire and stuff like that. So they have an appreciation for it. That's why they, a lot of them went to sample it. Absolutely, you know, shoot. Um, one of my favorite rappers, actually, uh, this guy better be Esham, actually, right? In mm-hmm. fact, he actually worked with George Clinton, Clinton actually, on this one song called Bubblegum Gangster, actually, right? And mm-hmm. he sampled Cosmic Slap for Fallen Angel, right? And I was like, first song Fallen Angel, I was like, yo, where does that sound familiar? And I was literally listening to the music from another compilation. I was like, so that's where he got it from. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, man. P-Funk was was pretty much the sound of hip-hop back in the days. Pre P-Funk and James Brown. 
pretty much like I'm still trying to figure out like on the East Coast, it was more James Brown bass samples, right? Jazz samples, you know, like Herbie Hancock kind of shit, right? Well, you had Public Enemy, uh, they use and EPMD, you yes. know, what I'm saying? and uh, 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 uh I, I can remember uh, Nice and Smooth, uh, De La Soul, you know, it was plenty of East oh, Coast yeah. that sampled P Funk too. True. Quest, Red Man, all his stuff used to be P Funk samples. Pretty much. And so it was pretty prominent all over. You know what I'm saying? I'm saying P Funk pretty much shaped hit the sound of hip hop. It really did. You know? Mm-hmm. I miss that era, truth be told, you know, because I felt he like was a connection and everything, you know? Mm-hmm. You know? It was the bass and the and the and the and the drum, you know what I'm saying? It was the bass and the and the beat. Oh yeah. Shoot. I can't remember. This is one song too that I can't remember which, which one it was. Was it was George Clinton Dare I Say kind of doing like a prototype of rapping? Actually, it was like an extended cut. I forgot what song it was. So it's going to drive me nuts. Ugh. Are you talking about a George song? Yeah, it was a George Clinton song. It was like um, it was kind of one of those when he was like um, yeah, I remember Funkadelic. Actually, I can't remember which one it was. It was like um. Don't drive me crazy. It wasn't the one where he was doing like the limericks. It wasn't that one. It was another one too. I can't remember the name right there now. You know, it was like one of those extended cuts, actually, right? I can find it mm-hmm. on YouTube somewhere. And he was rapping on it? Yeah. I just can't remember. Talking about newbie and nut? I think that might have been that one. You know? And he's talking about um talking about being in the jungle. That was the one. Yeah, that's newbie and nut. Shoot. Yeah, that's a dope one right there. That's one of my favorites. Nice. Follow, 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 follow. I like it. Sounds like uh it sounds like uh, some some eighties rap with uh with with P Funk. That's what it sounds like. The, the the background vocals make it sound very P Funk. Very much so, you know. Come on, one second, let me grab my mic. All right. Yeah, those vocals make it sound very P Funk. That's one of my favorites, right there. Is that one? I've always loved the I've always loved the harmonies on those albums, though. You know. Uh huh. Because I always felt like. To me, it was almost like a combination of everything, you know, like it was at times damn near heavy metal with like R&B and duo vocals and shit. I'm like, it's almost like this is fucking incredible, you know, (laughs) to me, I've always felt like there should have been this one tour basically where basically they got the best of Funkadelic in the 70s, right? And just having like almost like this offshoot, right? And just tour and almost upstage every rock band, like. I've been thinking, like, for example, Flea even said it himself that basically Funkadelic was heavier than Black Sabbath. Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. In fact, I was from that, that, that one riff, Stand on the Verge of Getting on, remember that one riff from Iron Man, actually, right? But they played it way better. Oh, okay. Was that it? That was in Iron Man? Yeah, it's like. It was like, there was this weird part. It was like, uh, you're like, okay, I know what you're talking about. It was like this vague one. I'm like, I've yeah. always, I never could figure out, was that like a 
kind of a nod or whatever. It was kind of like this, maybe subliminally. Shoot. Uh, I think I'm going to chalk that up to coincidence. I think so, too. Just maybe a coincidence. All right. So it's like, I've always... Okay, so I'm like, um, so Parma put it out. So have you actually recorded... So have you played... Uh, I know you play live, right? Have you ever recorded with them or... With... With who? Funkadelic or, or Parma, have you recorded a lot? Because I always imagine basically to record like a shit ton of stuff, you know? Because like... Yeah. You're asking if I ever recorded it? Yeah, I recorded with him. Just curious. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, so, you know, it, it depends on it. Like, I think you have to be more specific if it's musicians you're talking about. Yeah, like, were, were you ever to feature any albums? Like, were you on first? You got to shade the gate because I'm trying to find the liner notes and I can't find yeah, it. Yeah, I was on that. I, I wrote uh, I wrote with George, uh, Where Would I Go? And I actually have a song on there called Talking to the Wall that I never really got to finish. It's just kind of my guy that they decided to mix and put on the record. Nice. Cool. Well, I, I got to rediscover that album, actually, you know, because the more I first heard, I was like, I just love how, like, how diverse it was. I just kind of just, you know, basically ran the gamut, you know? Yeah, that's because he was trying to include uh, everybody young, uh, you know, from young and old, you know, everybody from, you know, past and present is what he was trying to do on that one. So smart move, you know. All right. So like, um, okay. so speaking of which. So like, um, okay. so what was like, Okay. so. okay, so apparently Gathering Jugglers, I was mis I was, I was misunderstood. Gathering Jugglers was like your first gig, and everything, right? What was your first gig like? Uh, I mean, you know, I've, it depends on what you call my first gig. Like, you know, I, the first time I was ever on stage with that band, you know, like officially on stage in in costume and stuff, I was like three. So, okay. Know, like, yeah, so I, I've been, you know, like they literally raised me to be on stage. They literally raised me on a stage. So, you know, in my, I, you know, I, I worked in the band from nineteen, from when I was nineteen until I was about twenty-four. So, you know what I'm saying. So I had a stint then, and you know, even between uh, three and that stint. You know, I've had my times of being on tour, being on stage. You know, my first, uh, the first group that I ever sang with, we opened um, where we played at halftime of the George show. You know what I'm saying? So I've always kind of been on that stage. You know, like I can't really say, say when my first one was. I guess it was when I was three. Okay, yeah, that makes actually that actually makes sense actually. Okay. <laughs> All right, so, all right, I guess kind of going back to it. So, guitar wise, who are like your biggest influences? Guitar wise, uh, of course, uh, my dad, Eddie, and Mike for Blackbird, probably the biggest ones. Um, I, I love Hendrix. I'm into Prince guitar wise. I'm into uh, Brian May of Queen. I really love him. Uh, I love BB. Um. Uh, 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 who else am I into, man? I, I'm into a, a few cats that I'm just at least just checking out. I've been checking out a little bit of West Montgomery lately. You know? Yeah, so these are kind of cats that I just try to take stuff from. 
you know what I mean? Or I listen to what they do style-wise and I try to get with it a little bit best I can. You know, we basically have very similar influences. Actually, add Frank Zappa to that list. We basically have damn near identical ones. Yeah, I like Frank Zappa. I like him more as a as a complete entity, though, as just to get than just the guitars. Same here. You know, like literally, damn near every December fourth or December twenty first, I always put up. I never set out to be weird. As everybody's called me that. I want to get that actually tattooed on me too. Yeah. <laughs> It was, either, it was either that or Hatchet Man, actually, the Instant Clown Posse logo. But in hindsight, maybe that's not been the best idea. You know? He's, he's an out there cat. <laughs> Absolutely, you know? He was one of those guys where, he was one of those dudes where he was so, he was so, he made so much sense, it almost seemed abnormal, if that makes sense or not. Yeah, but he made the kind of sense that that was not politically correct to be making back then not at all he gave not a fuck i always get a kick out of the fact that i know i know frank zapp was trying to take some of the guys for funkadelic (laughs) you know he was trying to i know he tried to grab glenn goins well he had some heavyweights come through his band so true true you know so i'm like i do hear certain things i'm kind of like I was like, okay, I could definitely hear where it's like, that could have been Glenn Goins, but like Ray White, because they have that kind of gospel background. I could definitely hear that, you know? Mm-hmm. So I'm like, but think of like, I wonder what Eddie Hazel would sound like with Frank Zappa. Mm-hmm. I think they're kind of curious, though. You know, stuff like right. that. Yeah. So, alright. Let's see what else. Alright, so, let's see what's right here. All right, so since you base okay, really you've been really uh, really been involved with Funkadelic since you were three and everything, right? So, and I hate to compare anything because you really can't compare times and everything, right? But I was like, what's the difference between Funkadelic what you saw growing up to the one now? <laughs> you, huh? Youth is the difference. Oh, oh youth. Oh, I thought you said you. I'm like, me? What the fuck I got to do with this? No, I say youth. I'm not, that's, that's like, the I'm, it's like, I'm not good enough to hang with you or Dwayne Blackburn tonight. <laughs> I was like, oh. uh, I was just, I'm saying youth is the difference. You know, like this band is just, you know, that's, it's, you could just look at it and see what the difference is. You know, all those cats when I was around, they either not around or, you know, not in the band anymore. So, that's the difference. This this funkadelic is is uh, is is I guess uh, not even my funkadelic. <laughs> this funkadelic is like uh, my my little brother's funkadelic or my kid's funkadelic. Okay, I dig how you put that. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But the one constant is George Clinton. Oh yeah. Absolutely, you know. Like, really, it's like... Even from from a production standpoint, it always fascinates me, right? Because I can tell when somebody has a solo album with George and without George, right? You can tell, basically, where the eyebrows were put, you know? Mm -hmm. Or, like, that's where it's, like, an evolution of from, you know? Now, in the sense of being there and knowing what I'm seeing... It, you know, it really, it doesn't, 
it, it still kind of, you know, has the same effect on, 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 it still kind of gives the same effect. So it, it kind of looks the same in the way of like George from a showmanship standpoint, you know, he's still doing the same things he did in the seventies. So, you know, if you can, you know, time lapse it, you know, then and now, you know, you could catch a lot of the same mannerisms and, you know, you know, things are still kind of the same, but it's just not not the same band anymore. You know, it's just not it's not just not that Funkadelic. True. You know, bands evolve and whatnot, you know. Yeah, but Funkadelic was evolving in the 70s, you know. They really were because it was in 1970 was not the same Funkadelic in 1975. No. 1978. Shoot. I remember the anti-tour. I've always loved, because of course I wasn't there actually. I think my parents barely met then. You know, I always love how they kind of like, instead of doing like the, you know, the more performative costumes, they knew what, they like armor fatigues and shit. I thought that looked really cool as fuck. And I saw the photos, like, that looks dope. You know? Because uh, to me, yeah, I was, was, you first. I was going to say that was the peak time right there. That was probably the heyday. Yeah. Because I always felt this way. It's like when I was picking up guitar and everything and being like, you know, being like a black, you know, black guy in a rock and everything, where I felt like, until I found about the other cool shit, I felt like, this is the closest I can fucking get, actually, right? You know, so I'm like, this was almost, the dare I say, it was like, okay, so when it comes to black rock, you know, this is it. This is like the genome and everything, you know? Hell, George Clinton was rocking a mohawk back then, you know? You know, I remember, like, even, like, the one issue on their groove um, for the vinyl, because, of course, my dad had it, you know? I was like, the punkadelic, and it was kind of a cool graphic, I'm like... I wonder what would happen if they went in that direction too. I mean, they kind of did on a couple. Well, I saw it do like come more some more thrasher stuff live, you know. You know, but I'm not going to fantasy book and whatnot. So it's like, um, okay. So what were like? Okay, so what were like guitar wise? What were, like your standout moments? Uh, what for myself? Yeah, for for yourself. Yeah. Uh, I mean, then. P funk, you know, I don't really have standout moments. I really just play a lot of rhythm, you know what I'm saying? So, uh, you know, in P funk, I guess, uh, you know, I don't, I don't really say I have any standout moments. You know, I'm having my standout moments now. Yeah, because I get to express my own, um, I get to express my own feel, my own sound, and my own style when I do my own music. You know, because other than that, you know, I we have Blackbird and P Funk, so I'm not gonna have any shining moments, you know, with him up there because he's the shine guy. So understood. You know. All right. One question that always kind of it was intrigued me though, and you know, hope I'm not stepping on toes because technically Flea's like basically your uncle, right? You ever kind of notice Red Chili Peppers can never keep a black guy in the in the band? Yeah, actually, Blackbird was actually in the band. Exactly. But what I'm saying is, like, there's only two black guys, actually three black guys to think of, but for a funk rock band, they can never stick around. It was Blackbird, um, D.H. Poligo from Dead Kennedys, and um, Arig Marshall. You ever notice those guys never stick around? <laughs> so, yeah. like, I've always yeah. been kind of curious what was up with that. 
Well, you know, I don't know. You know, I don't. I don't read anything into it. You know, because you know the peppers are cool. So they cool shit. I'm gonna lie. I love. Yeah. I love when I work with George too. You know, I, I love that video too because I'm like, so that's what George does in the studio. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's pretty wild, man. It's pretty much a free for all. You know, because he likes you to. He likes to get the um he, he likes to get what's inside of you, you know what I mean? He likes it to be genuine. So the best way to do that is not to be trying to, you know, necessarily um, you know, not to not to not to micromanage too much, I guess. It's a smart way to do it though, because with that creative energy, you can't micromanage that, you know, it has to basically let it flow, you know? Mm-hmm. And you bring the best out of people when you kind of let them, you know, when you when you kind of allow them to roam like that, you know, what I mean, or give them the freedom to kind of express themselves like that, you know. Agreed. Yeah. So I try to do the same thing with my band and everything, you know, trying to find the balance between like, OK, now getting a little too much in the back, but also like give them the freedom to bloom and develop and whatnot, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, man, you gotta be judicious with it, man. And especially a band that big, you know, because there's a lot of talented people with a lot of good ideas, and you know, all those good ideas can't go on every song. So, yeah, agreed. You know, that's uh, Jim, that's George's genius. That's probably the most genius thing he does is knowing how to pull people together and. And, and and put them in the environment and getting you know the best out of them <laughs> agreed you know because because i would like because I, I read stories about some of the sessions right and some of those stories are hard to find actually right so i'm glad i'm grateful for all the documentaries and everything right and i'm like because i remember like um they'll really go they'll really go forward though right like, you know so it's to be a fly on the wall you know and united sound system you know mm-hmm. all right you ever heard this one band called death yeah yeah, right. I'm trying to like I'm always been intrigued because I remember hearing a story about like how David Hackney and George Clinton got into his weed war actually. <laughs> yeah, I've never heard that one. I gotta send it to you, you know. I think it was a draw. <laughs> uh, you know. I wouldn't doubt it. Yeah. So okay, aside from guitar, what instruments do you play? Um, I play a little bit of bass and a little bit of drums as well. Trying to teach myself to play more piano, even though I haven't been playing very much lately. So every time I take a step or so forward, then I, I allow myself to take two steps back by not playing it enough. So, yeah, it happens. I mean, one thing I got to learn is this one thing. Well, not the one, not, not I got to learn. I already learned it. Like, for example, taking Japanese, right? And you know what? It's kind of weird. Like, certain words will pop up into my head and everything. I'm like, okay, I know that word. What the fuck does that mean? <laughs> so until you, like, that's the thing about it. The core thing is keep practicing, right? And not be discouraged, you know? Because, I don't know. I guess, like, you know, like you kind of mentioned earlier, right? There's no point of really trying to put, like, a standard on yourself because you are yourself, you know? Because I feel like... If I don't sound, if I don't sound like Chicory R.I.P., then I can't. I'm not going to try to play keys and shit like that, you know. So it's kind of like I got to get over that too, you know. All right. So guitar wise, like you know, are you like brand loyal or is this kind of like, hey, you got six strings, fuck it. Um, I, I like uh, Fender Strat. You know, what I'm saying that's my that's that's what I love. 
uh, the, the P-Funk band, you know, we are uh, Fender ambassadors. So, you know, thank goodness for that. You know, it affords me to be able to have a couple of Fender strats, you know, but that's my axe, you know. But, I mean, essentially, I will play on anything, you know what I mean? Because, uh, you know, that, that I, I feel like a guitar is, a, is pretty much a guitar. You know, they just all have different tones, different sounds, different, you know, just depending on what you're going for. So I'm willing to play with anything, but I prefer to play with a Fender Strat. And if I'm going to buy a guitar, I'm going to buy a Fender Strat. I'm with you. You know, I mean, like during over at, um, I was uh, when I was cutting tracks over by studios down in Arlington, right? Mm-hmm. One thing I, one thing I did was uh, they have like guitars over there already, which makes sense because they they already have the shit set up, right? So I'm like, so all you could do is really show up and whatnot, right? One thing. So that's the first time I've really messed with Telecaster, right? Only thing I knew about Telecasters were this. The guys, Mick Thompson from Slipknot plays those. No, it's always Jim Root plays those. And Waylon Jennings plays those, right? So I'm like, okay, very diverse. Great for lead tones. One thing I discovered, great for fucking lead tones, I got to tell you. Those are another yeah. guitar or two those better for yeah. rhythm stuff. You know? Yeah, those tellies are very twangy. Yeah. Very much yeah. so. They have just a little bit too much twang for me. That's yeah. my first track. Yeah, I, like I have nothing against the telly. Those are good guitars. They just, I think those are more for, uh, you know, those those are going to be more for country though. You know what I mean? Like you say, or some country rock. You know, those are more for some screaming. <clears throat> you know, like I said, that, that, that got just, it's just a little too much twang on it for me. Just a little bit. <laughs> totally. You know, that's a good point as well because, Actually, that's where it was perfect, so it cuts through, you know, the other... I think that's the reason why they use it, because it cuts through other stuff, though. But, like, strats, though, perfect, you know? Yeah, they're smooth. I like strats that they're smooth. Like a, yep, like a motherfucker. Um, so, all right. So, I just... I just find it very fascinating where you mentioned a story about how... It's like, you know, how, like, you knew Doug Wimbush before you realized it was Doug Wimbush, right? Well, no, I, um, I, I, um, I, I actually really just met him a few years ago is what I was saying. And, um, I actually didn't, I actually didn't meet him until after he played on my records, but then I met him and found out that he asked that we actually go further back than I even knew. He's known me since I was a little kid. He used to come to my house when I was a kid. And I didn't realize that. <laughs> and that's back when he was playing with uh, Sugar Hill Gang, and, or maybe even before that, you know what I'm saying? But around then, you know, because P-Funk, they took Sugar Hill Gang on tour. <laughs> One of the first times they went on like a world tour, I think was with uh, P-Funk. So that makes sense, actually, you know? Yeah. It makes total sense, you know? A lot of people don't realize that that was Doug Whitman. She was a part of Sugar Hill Gang's house band and everything, right? You know, yeah, he's not on. Um, he's not on Rappers Delight, though. Really? No, that's not him on Rappers Delight. He said. He said. Uh, I forgot who he said that was. He said that was uh, just before he was actually uh, asked to be in the band. I believe it's actually. Uh, he talked about it when I interviewed him on my podcast. Oh yeah, it was. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, was there anybody else too that stumbled on that you didn't realize? You know, they didn't realize it. Like, like, well, yeah, well, that's his uncle or something like that, right? Who was like first person you realized, like, oh, that's them. It's like, like they're famous. They're known. Whoever, who was like the first person to kind of dawn on you? Um, dude, um, I guess my father and them. Like, we don't. I don't really like know famous people like that. Like a lot of the, it, the people that I, that are deemed celebrities that I might know, I've actually just kind of really met within the last, you know, like five or 10 years, but a lot of them have known my father. So, you know, that's kind of the, the way that I end up meeting a lot of these people. So, yeah, I mean, you know, I, so even though, you know, we grew up in the, I grew up with, with my dad as a funkadelic. You know, the time that I grew up was not necessarily, you know, I grew up, I was born in in, in the in, in in Parliament's prime, Parliament Funkadelic's prime, which really lasted a year or two tops. You know, so by the time I was three, you know what I mean? P-Funk was not, the, you know, the touring entity it was anymore. By the time I was like three, four years old, you know, we were kind of, you know, shows were far and few between throughout the, like the, er- the early 80s, mid 80s, and, you know, times were hard. So, you know, I, I grew up, you know, and, and, and come up just, you know, I, I lived a regular life. You know, I, there was no glitz, there was no glamour to it. Uh, to the point where, you know, it, it took me a long time to really realize how um how actually famous and big my father was because i couldn't fathom that because we didn't live like that so yeah you know i went to you know regular public high schools with all my you know neighborhood kids and this that and third so you know i didn't kick it with celebrities and stuff like that on the regular you know just be from time to time my father might grab us out and take us within for a while or, you know, the summertime might come and we might spend the summer in Detroit or on tour with him or something like that. And in the midst of that, then maybe you would start meeting folks because they would be on tour with him. You, you know what I'm saying? So it was like I had maybe met a few folks, you know, but it was like uh, nobody was like coming to like kick it with us like that or, you know, when I was growing up or anything like that. I feel you. Yeah. Like, it was kind of funny. My, my dad was on the radio, right? But he used, like, a different name, though. He used to name David Williams, right? Because apparently, uh, yeah, because what happened was, all right, my dad had his band called, well, not had, it still has a band called Backlash, right? And uh, and they had, they had this song called Soft and Easy, right? And what happened was, all right, there was a conflict of interest because he's a DJ, and the song he wrote is being played on the station he's over at. So I'm like... So mm-hmm. a lot of times he was shitting Ovaltine a lot of times. So we had to he had to use a different bunch of aliases and shit like that, and nobody was with the wiser, you know. Uh-huh. And I'm like I didn't really know. Like my dad was like, you know, like like you know, my dad or my mom was like, you know, because I just know him. It's like I don't know my parents or anything, right? But they're on the fucking radio and shit, you know. So I'm like, oh fuck, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, it was confusing for me because I knew, you know, I heard their songs on the radio from time to time, and. You know, they were still, when I was, you know, young, you know, when they would do a show, they were still doing some pretty big, like, venues and stuff like that. So, you know, I understood that they were in, like, show business. I just, I, I didn't realize that they were at that, at that level of show business because 
as a kid, you know, like I, 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 I early, I, I, I equated that kind of fame and, and celebrity to also being rich. You know what I'm saying? And we weren't rich. Two so. different things. It's like, just because you're known doesn't mean. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, again, it took me a while, a long time to understand that a long time because it really wasn't until I was about 15 that I really knew at that point that I was probably going to try to pursue a career, a career in, in music or the arts, you know? So I wasn't even really sure that I wanted to be like following in dad's footsteps. I wasn't really for sure what I wanted to do, how I wanted to go about it. And, you know, it, that's just what it was, you know, now by the time I was 14 and 15, you know, now, all of all of rap was sampling all of his music and it was all over the place and then they were back on tour again you know and it was around then that i really started to kind of understand that because it was like now it's like people that i like actually give you guys big respect yeah exactly you know and then i started realizing how much of that music that i liked was their music you know and then it was like okay okay then I started to understand the game and, you know, you know, you live and you learn. Absolutely. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. as a kid, it was just a fun thing that my parents did. They were in show business. You know, it was no big deal. It was just, they were in show business. It was cool what they did, but it almost seemed like people didn't even really know what they did to me. Yeah. You know, I mean, my friends certainly did had no clue of what it was. You know, not when I was a little kid. It wasn't their music, so. All right, so speaking of which, okay, so kind of going back to that when it comes to, you know, pursuing music, right? So even though you play, you know, guitar mostly, definitely do vocals, but you have, like, outside collaborators help you out too, though, right? Yes, indeed, most definitely. Uh, like I said, Doug Wimbish, who we talked about, uh, he's always down to lend me some some bass. Uh, Noel Wood Fisher as well from Fishbone. Uh, you know, Flea, usually from time to time when I give him a call, will usually throw me some bass. Um, uh, you know, uh, drums, most of my live drums are, are done by Benzel Baltimore Cowan. I was thinking that. Yeah, the first two, my first two albums, he played all the live drums. This last one that I did, I only had two tracks of live drums, which were the last two tracks. And those were played by uh, a guy in L.A. named Andy Kravitz, who's actually um, he's pretty, pretty dope uh, beat maker, drummer. And um, he's worked with some pretty cool cats, man. He's worked with folks from like the likes of like Peter Gabriel, you know, to the likes of like Cypress Hill and cats like that. You know what I mean? So nice yeah and so he, he played drums on this one so i have him and usually everything else i end up doing myself i'm kind of hard pressed to find keyboard playing i have a, a friend of mine around here that's local that uh he, when he gets time he'll come through and play some keyboards for me but yeah i know it's like um yeah when it comes to keyboard players they're they're interesting breed. I'll put it that way. You know, they're interesting breed. Yeah. Cause I remember like, um, there was this thing that Frank Zappa would say when he, he was bringing down, like, cause he was talking to moon and he said, like, if you're going to, if you're going to date a musician, here are the archetypes. The least singer, the guitar players, egomaniacs. The drummers are damn near obsessive compulsive. Keyboard players are fucking weird. And the bass players are, you just kind of regular. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. You know, just kind of those regular in the pocket motherfuckers. Like you never really see like, you know, like a really flamboyant extroverted bass player. Yeah, they're usually the coolest cat in the band. That's a motherfucker. The voice of reason, you know, the cool motherfuckers. I notice it every time. You know, you can almost tell some people's like, I know the motherfucker plays bass. Just certain things you can tell. Yeah, yeah, you can tell. He's just that was spot on with a lot of that, man. But you know, for me, I've always been able to recognize the bass player in the band simply by demeanor. <laughs> exactly. I used to figure out because okay, already already kind of level headed, yeah, already black, yeah, that's a bass player. Uh huh. <laughs> Usually. You know, you don't say much, soft spoken, you know what I mean, and just laid back every time. Every, uh, every time. That you know? dude is usually that dude. <laughs> Absolutely, you know. All right. I always found it, I've always found it fascinating. I've always had a soft spot for when it came to, when it came to like, like songwriters, when it came, when it was, came like a duo kind of package, right? Like, for example, like Ellen John and Bernie Toppin, Lenny McCartney. And I know you have Lance Renner to help you help you write lyrics, all right? Yeah, that's the question. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. It's like, so how'd you get how'd you get with uh, Lance Reynolds? Um, well, you know, we met at a P Funk show in D.C. that uh, his radio station was sponsoring, I believe. And um, you know, he just approached a few of us, and the band was handing out his card because he does a show on WPFW, the House of Soul, on Saturdays at ten in the morning. And um, you know, he was handing out cards to everybody about playing music. I didn't have any music out at, at the time; I hadn't even started recording anything. Uh, but when I did, I called him up and I sent it to him, and he started playing it, and uh, we just kind of developed a relationship. And then I, I was on his show when I was back in town, and you know, we just you know started kind of kicking it from there. You know, what I mean, and it's just kind of built from there. And um, and you know, he 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 helped me do a, a bulk of the heavy lifting on um, regurgitated you. I also have a partner, uh, Keith Marshall, who also helps me do the other half of the heavy, heavy lyrical lifting. You know what I'm saying? So um, between the two of those guys, you know what I'm saying, and myself, you know, we, we do a pretty good job, you know. So but that's that's my that's my team for the most part is everyone that I've mentioned musically and, and vocally. So or cool. lyrically. Cool. I don't know. It comes to me like writing lyrics and everything, right? I'm, it's either one of two things. Um, I was like, they're either, yeah, I wrote the lyrics on that and also wrote the music too, or like, they need some help with this right here. So what I usually do is I just kind of write it almost like a poem and everything, right? And just kind of like, here's the basic idea. Maybe we can kind of get some ideas of what I'm doing here. So just dump, you know, and flesh uh-huh. that out yourself. So when it comes to like, do you ever give them like kind of like a lyrical concept or do they think of the lyrics themselves? Um, they usually, usually will come with, uh, their own songs. Um, but it's usually a combination of both. You know, sometimes I might be, they might just be here as I'm writing and I'm coming up with stuff and, you know, I might be stuck and they, you know, will help me complete parts, you know, help me, help me suss out certain parts. You know I mean? It's either that or they just come in here with their own songs done, you know, pretty much. They know what they're trying to do melodically, you know what I mean? And I just take what I hear them trying to do melodically and I just kind of, you know, put, put a little bit of uh, contrast on it and color on it, 
you know, put my own, I guess, contrast and color to it. Cool, because I have like, um, because I have like two people to help me write lyrics as well, like, um, Elise Singer Danielle and also my other buddy, Danny Creatura. Like, okay. um, so, um, all right, so what's your studio setup like? Um, you know, it's not like, um, very sophisticated, you know, it's just, um, Studio One on my MacBook, um, Audio Box, PreSonus, uh, Interface, M Audio, um, MIDI keyboard, and that's essentially it. You know, and then I have my uh, my podcast side. So for that, I have a, a Roland VR One HD interface. It's a streaming interface and mixer. Um, what else? Uh, I, I, AKG mics. You know, um, JBL is another brand uh, sponsor that we have. So. You know, I use JBL monitors, AKG mics. You know, they they hook us up pretty well. They have the know. same monitors. Okay. Yeah, yeah they're, yeah. they're fucking yeah. great. Yeah, JBL is pretty dope, man. Shout out to Harmon JBL fam. But uh, that that's essentially my hookup. That's the extent of it. You know, nothing sophisticated. Yeah. Yo, Sean the Dark. We ever were you, have you ever been to Nam? Uh, of course. <laughs> Cool. What's that like, by the way? Oh man, it's uh, like um, like Toys R Us for musicians, man. You know what I mean? Just you know, all types of toys everywhere. You know, and you can take them off the shelves and play with them. And if you want, you can even buy one. You know, you can buy whatever you want in there. So, but it's essentially it's a merchant. It's the merchants con- conference. So, you know, this is. Um, all the music companies, all the merchant companies, this is their conference, you know, but um, a lot of them, they're not musicians. They're in the business of selling equipment. Yeah. So they need musicians to display their stuff. So yeah. along with the merchants comes all the musicians who aren't on tour at that time. They're usually making their bread at NAM that weekend. So oh, yeah. and, um, you have all the side events, you know, it's, you know, parties and events and, you know, just live music for four days. And, you know, you meet musicians from all over the world, you know, meet musicians that you know very well, you know, and you get in an environment where you might actually just, you know, walk right past them on a, you know, just a random humble, you know, and they expect you to stop them and talk to them and stuff like that. You know, it's pretty cool, pretty cool networking opportunity, you know, pretty good opportunity to showcase yourself if you need that, you know, so it's that, you know, typical music convention, you know, everybody's trying to be seen. Sounds dope, you know. And make an impression. I always wondered, like, what are your thoughts on GoGo, though? I mean, no, I, you know, I, I, I appreciate GoGo. You know, it's not necessarily um, something like one of my favorites. Like, you know, it's a staple here in DC, you know, but I, I wasn't necessarily born here in DC, so you know, I guess I don't have that 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 um, I don't have that tie to it. You know what I mean? But I, I, I think it's, you know, it's, 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 um, I've seen it evolve, you know, it evolves like all music, you know, and so it's done that, you know, and it's, it's, it's definitely uh, had some life here in DC. You know, it sure would have helped if someone had really uh, developed some kind of uh, music scene here for it, 
you know i, I mean it actually it ha- not does it has its seen I, I i guess it's, uh, it, i think what i mean is it would help more if someone could have developed a proper business structure for it you know, that's what i that's that's what i think it's missing is a proper business structure you know because um because it generates an awful lot of money here you know but um I, I think a lot of the musicians you know they get so kind of um caught up in just playing and being local celebrities that they don't really pay very much attention to to you know how or where the money goes you know or how it comes in and i think that's been the thing that's kind of cursed uh dc and the i mean go-go and the dc music scene in general in in my opinion you know, and it's a shame because there's a lot of good musicians here and a lot of good music here. And, you know, at this point, Go-Go, you know, it, I feel like Go-Go really does want to be a national, no, a nationally known uh, genre, you know, and I think that's just the only thing that's holding it back. Yeah, I've always thought it was, you know, I see where moments where it pops in once in a while, you know, and, you know, look forward to it, you know, getting a good, you know, hole in the mainstream because i see where it pops up you know i mean like for example i saw like a wale do a theme song for this one wrestler named biggie actually so also did like the theme song for this one um this one wrestler show called mlw the song called bait actually it's really it's like a bounce beat influenced mm-hmm. song you know so you know hopefully or like other bands like black alley where i saw my vh1 soul you know where it's not go-go it's almost like an evolution where i call it so I call it Post Gogo, or one another friend of mine called it Pogo, actually. Yeah, I have their bass player is on, uh, he's on Pandemic. Josh? Yeah, Josh, all right, so. Yeah, he's cool as shit, you know? It's like, yeah, he's on, uh, he's on, he's on Fly. He's playing the bass on Fly from my last record. Nice. Mm-hmm. That's one of the things I, I need to find like, the liner notes because that was my shit. That was the liner note, motherfucker. You know, yeah. I was a liner note dude, like basically, you know, trying to find the connections to like how, you know, like how these guys connect and everything. That was that liner note dude, you know, figure out, oh, so that's mm-hmm. who played on that, you know. Mm-hmm. So like, shoot, you know, boom. All right, so there's, cause I always wonder if you ever work with any local guys. I always wondered that. So kind of, conf- so did you work with any of the local guys too or what? Uh, yeah, well, just Josh. Like Ben Zell's local, Ben Zell's Baltimore. He's somewhat local. Yeah, yeah, you're right, you know. Yeah, yeah. Lance and Keith are local. Okay, so yeah, good point. Yeah, uh, now when I did my live show, I played with the band. Uh, most of those cats are uh, Sound of the City. Yeah, those guys. Yeah, Sound of the City. Yes. Um, what's the name? Biscuit Bynum uh, on drums. Dennis Turner played bass. Uh, Michael Robinson, he was on keyboard. You know what I'm saying? Uh, Zach Cutler on guitar. Uh, Stanley Cooper, he played with me in, in Groove Allegiance as well on guitar. Um, the, uh, the horn players, Eugene Chapman. Uh, what, uh, what's Mark's? I can't remember Mark's name. I just, I met Mark that night and he played trombone with me. He was pretty dope. And uh, and a, a trumpet player named uh, Kim, what's Kim's name? Last, I can't even remember Kim's last name. I haven't seen the cats in a while, so it's been a minute. Yeah, but all of those, uh, my, my the band that I used for my live show was local guys as well. They're pretty dope. A lot of them sound of the city, if you know them. 
Oh yeah, because that was like that was one of those. I do remember Sound of the City in 2011. You know, I was trying to get someone into play where Jenny's techno back in 2012. Actually, you know, uh, yeah, that was years ago though. But yeah. So how does stuff and things come about? Um, you know, just bored. He, he didn't have any shows, and it's like, all right, well, I always wanted to try a podcasting or radio or something. So now I had time to do it, so I did it. It was easy to set up, so I just set myself up on, you know, with a little online streaming studio, and I was broadcasting. Yeah, it makes sense, because you really, you do have a good voice for it, though, you know? Yeah, I've heard that for a long time. <laughs> I've had this voice since I was 14. Yeah, yeah. I, the kind of voice that I have, most people don't believe is mine. <laughs> like, it's some weird ventriloquist trick, you know? I've like... Yeah, with me. I have like, true. I believe I was that. My voice was that deep. (laughs) True. You know, like um, because I have like three damn voices actually. Right, the one where I'm really anxious and everything, it gets like it gets even higher. Stoner Mm -hmm. chipmunk and the more relaxed one. It's a little bit like maybe like an octave lower. Uh So it's Uh like three different ones, really. You know, (laughs) so. But the funny thing about it is, people always ask, "Hey, ever thought we're going to radio?" I was like. Would you trust me in front of a live mic? Whole damn station get sh- whole damn station get shut down. FCC would be like, dun, 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 dun. <laughs> you know. So like, no, that's why I do a pre-recorded shit. There's a reason why. Just keep on training yourself, though. Yeah. You yeah. Do enough of them, you'll get it. Yeah. Yeah. Shoot. Well, I guess about wraps it up. So, is there anything else out there you wanted to check out? Uh, yeah, Stuffs and Things podcast, 9 p.m. Uh, before that, though, check out uh, DJ Lance Reynolds. Uh, he starts the Funktastic Friday off with his Friday, uh, his Funky Friday spin. So you check him out on Twitch from 8 to 845. Uh, we segue that into the Stuffs and Things podcast, 9 p.m. Fridays. I also started a new podcast at 7 p.m. on Thursdays called the Huff and Puff Happy Hour. So y'all check that out as well. You can check that out on Twitch, Starchild, uh, Twitch.tv, Starchild Junior underscore P-Funk, uh, or YouTube, Starchild Junior, or Facebook Live if they don't shut me down. And I just put out another single called Lucky Star. So go check that out wherever you stream. Awesome. Great. Well, Garrett, thanks a lot. Appreciate it. All right, you know. you, all right man. All right. All right, take it easy, sir. You too. You too, sir. Peace. All right. Hey, that was Gary Scheider. Keep an eye out for him. Until next time, take it easy and please use common sense.